I'm Anya. And I'm Scarlet. Come inside the Flaming Yoni. And explore everything from the sacred to the salacious. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Jinx, you Jinx. owe me cunnilingus or a soda, whatever we're going with. Ooh, but... I mean, do I get to pick? Because I think the first one sounded a lot more fun. <laughs> I know, right? Okay, listeners, you're in the Yoniverse. If you didn't know what podcast just queued for you, we're already talking about cunnilingus. Welcome. Yep. Welcome, welcome. Yeah, when we kick it off by talking about me going down in your haunted house. Here we go. Here we go. If you don't know what that reference is, you haven't been listening to the show faithfully enough and you need to go back and catch up. Agreed. It's mandatory for these listeners to understand about the haunted house. Well, love, here we are. And I am so jazzed. I don't know how you've been feeling today, even though it's been stressful, but we had our first Mm. virtual slut sisters happy hour last night how incredible was it oh my gosh I was writing such a high last night I felt so amazing I was texting some folks about how it went and it just felt so good to be face to face even though we couldn't be in person to be face to face with our sisters and to see us all gathered together in a way that you and I have been dreaming of for literally more than a year oh my gosh And to hear everybody talk about what brought them there, to hear about their journeys thus far and what sisterhood means to them, it just reconfirmed for me what we are hoping Slut Sisters becomes and turns into for myriad women, right? And we know right now it's a small community, but somebody during the course of the evening said, you know, when we have a couple hundred women in here, (laughs) and we were like, yes, because we know that there are so many femme folks out there who just need to be in community with, in sisterhood with others, because we all find so much support and comfort in having relationships with other femmes that can identify with at least the idea of having to work through where we've gone in our sexual journeys, the unshaming, the liberation, the pleasure, you know, all of that stuff. And just to be in the company of women who are all at some journey, at some point along the way in their journey for all of that, and that we can all do it together. Mm. It was the best. I mean, it was it was beyond what I could have ever imagined. And it reminded me of when we really, you know, the idea and the notion of Slut Sisters was incepted for us. Like we just imagined this sisterhood of women seeing each other, accepting each other, holding each other up. And that's exactly what it felt like last night. Like absolutely incredible. And we ran, ran the gambit, you know, from our life purpose to... <laughs> talking about you know air tights and like yeah different sexual it was just it was incredible to be so free and so seen and liberated and I'm very excited because this year Slut Sisters has made an appearance out in the physical world uh, and we are absolutely working on developing 
uh, a real world slut sister soiree where we are sharing physical space together. Can't wait for that to happen. But in the meantime, Slut Sisters is coming to some sex positive spaces, some lifestyle events, and one of those is coming up next week. So I'm very, very jazzed about you know, reaching out to a lot of women and telling them that this incredible community exists. Um, And I am also looking into other, you know, events and spaces where Slut Sisters can make an appearance. So if you are listening to this show and you have an event or a space that could be elevated by some divine feminine sexuality, which come on, what can't be? right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Reach out to us. Find us on our website, theflamingyoni.com. Find us on our socials. We can talk about it. We can be there. And we bring a lot of great, elevated, fun energy. So I'm looking forward to that. Yes, as you should. Absolutely. You are beyond our A-plus brand ambassador. (laughs) And I absolutely echo what she says. If you feel like there is a place for Slut Sisters at your event, please reach out to one of us. We would love to have that conversation. And speaking of divine feminine sexuality, I, first of all, am so thrilled with the guest that we are having on the show today. And I would love for you, babe, to share with our listeners how we got connected with her, and then we will give her a little bit of credit and intro and bring her on in. Oh my gosh, I am so excited because, you know, when things come easy, we know they are meant to be. And I um, I have made mention of um, a few folks in my life that have become, you know, really, really crucial parts of my life. And we have deep connecting bonds that go far beyond like having fun or lifestyle or, um, you know, and I have a bond with a particular individual who we were just talking. He's unlike any human being I have ever met. And he's a manifesting generator like you, Anya. So he just charges my batteries. Um, But this individual and I talk every day, sometimes for far too long, but he, we keep each other updated on what's going on in our lives. And he said, I met this woman and we've just clicked in a way (laughs) that is a little bit unusual for him. And I was like, Oh my God, tell me more about her. I need to know more. And he sent me her website. And she's a sex coach. And I was like, uh, we need to have her on the show immediately. And he was like, I already mentioned it to her. Always one step ahead. He has to be. He just has to be. So that is how I got connected with our beautiful guest, Lex. Lex, say hello to everyone in the universe. Hello, everybody. Thank you for hello. having me. Oh, our <laughs> pleasure, gorgeous. It's so wonderful to have you with us today. We are so thrilled. And we had the opportunity the other night, Lex, to talk with you and do a little bit of a pre-chat because we hadn't had the pleasure of meeting yet. And it just felt like we could have had that conversation go on and on and on. And I have a feeling today is going to be no different at all. (laughs) Um, So while we, you know, kind of 
have you here. Give our in our listeners a little introduction to who Lex is and how you became this amazing certified sex coach who works with femmes and couples and all the things. I'd love to. Thank you, Anya, for that intro. Um, hello, everybody. I am Lex, the Lex of Talk Sex with Lex. Um, have a passion for educating women, men, couples on enhancing their sex life and getting through shadows that may be blocking your pleasure um, and also helping people sex explore um, and get those women out of those frustrated situations. <laughs> Did you just say sex explore and frustrated? Yes. I want more of that, please. I think that's a pretty accurate statement for a lot of people <laughs> in this world. And I, I'm absolutely so excited about having you here because you also told us about your journey to becoming oh, yeah. a certified sex coach. Yes. And I just want to highlight that this has been something that you took on and you really, really just committed yourself so deeply to this process. When we were talking about the jobs that you were working, the hours that you were pulling and doing all oh, yeah. of this as a single parent, yeah. I just, I just want to say kudos to you and what you. an amazing feat that was. But tell us about what brought you to the point of wanting to step, step into that space. So um, it's always been something. Um, studying sexology has been a passion of mine since I was about, I don't know the age, but I know it was in ninth grade because I remember what happened. Um, mm -hmm. I used to write erotic stories in grade school, and it was just off of what my body was doing, the changes I was going through hormone-wise. Now, I, you know, hindsight 2020. Um, but from there, I started to research what is the study of sex? How do I study sex? Is it possible to study sex, you know, at that age? And I came across sexology, and it was always something that stayed in my mind as a passion. So as I got older, um, when I met my ex now ex-husband, it was something I brought up, and I said, hey, I really want to do this. Everyone's telling me you know, do something you love, do something you love. And I was between contracts and all of this. And he was like, yeah, go for it. I support you. But at the time we didn't have any kids. No, I think we had just had our first child. But at the time it was like, he didn't realize what it took to support someone going through that versus just saying it, you know, like the finances, the time to study, the time, um, to just get mental breaks in between mm. um, the time that I would need to actually work a job to get me through the schooling um, while also supporting him, you know, things like that. But um, after our divorce, I sat back, reflected over my life, the entire life that I had lived at that point. And I said, I want to do something that I am passionate about. I want to wake mm -hmm. up every morning and look forward to what I do. And so I went back to sexology. And so it so happens um, that similar to what Scarlett said earlier in the show, that everything happens at the right time. Um, and it 
when it flows, it flows. I literally got on Facebook and saw um, this woman that my, first of all, my Facebook is very private because I have my kids on there. I don't accept people that I don't know on my personal page. So this woman had post, she had just got her sexology certification and she was getting ready to start ramping up an institute um, to certify, you know, more sexologists. She was working with the American Board of Sexology. And I was just like, holy shit. <laughs> like, this is, if you need a sign, you know, this is it. So going into it, I was just, I messaged her right away. I was like, hey, can you tell me more? I really, really, really want to do this. This has been a passion of mine. How do you do this? Because when I look it up, you know, it tells me that I have to do like four years of psychology and study all of this other shit that does not apply to the life of a sexologist or, or coaching or practicing any type of the, who the fuck want to do economics, <laughs> you know, algebra. What is this? Why am I doing this? You know, I had tried to go that route, but for me, it wasn't something that doing it, just going through those classes, I was just like, shoot me now. Like, I, I just cannot do this. You know, this is not something I'm excited about. This is actually making me not want to do it anymore. You know, mm-hmm. so going through that, um, messaging her, sitting tight, and I enrolled. I went to her website, the Pleasure Master Institute, and I looked through everything, and I enrolled. And from there, I looked at how much it cost because this was a private institute, and you know, not financial aid and all that sweet stuff that I guess public institutions give you and scholarships, all that. So I went through all of that and I ended up getting a second job, full-time job, um, while also just wrapping up a divorce with my ex-husband. And my youngest son at the time was one. Um, So we were going through joint custody um, with the two boys, I have two boys, and I was just like, how the fuck am I going to do this? (laughs) You know? Mm. So I just, I don't know. It's like wrapping up my divorce, honestly, I feel like was my third wind of life. And I say my third wind of life because I went through weight loss um, surgery. And that was my second wind um, prior to having two boys back to back who are 13 months apart (laughs) to the day. Um. And so going through the Institute, working two full-time jobs, one was, they were in two different time zones, which it helped juggle a little bit, but there was a, you know, slight overlap. Um, But then that means I got to get up even earlier and stay up a little later, um, working about, I'd say 7 a.m. to about 9 p.m. at night, (laughs) Monday through Friday, Mm -hmm. Um, going through the coaching when you have a passion for something, you don't see what you're going through in the midst of going through it. Yeah. Yeah. So while I was going through day by day, um, I did hit some, some brick walls of, I don't think I'm gonna keep doing this. You know, I don't, I don't think I'm gonna keep going. And my mentor was like, you got this. I'm so proud of you, you know, kind of giving me that boost of encouragement. But I got to a point where I started to get depressed. Um, going through 
this certification while working, trying to keep up with the groceries, trying to keep up being a mom, trying to keep up being um, that girlfriend that, you know, you have friends call you to, you know, kind of vent and then needing someone in your life for it to be that person. And so through it, I kept saying, for the love of God, what do I need? I need something. What do I need? What do I need? So then I started this other group while I'm working these two full-time jobs from home, (laughs) not really having any people interaction other than my classmates going through the course with me um, of the work. I call it the work from home cubicle babes. I kind of just put an ad, like a post out there on Facebook and was like, hey, I work from home. I think it'd be pretty dope if we did like a video call throughout the day of other women that work from home just to talk to somebody throughout the day because I'm working like 15 hours you know sitting at this desk um and it it was a hit I got like 30 40 women to start um and we bonded really really well they kind of juiced me up throughout the day to keep going um hearing their stories it was pretty dope that nobody was in the same field but when they heard that I was going through my sex coach um, certification which now I'm a certified clinical sexologist and I'm very proud of that (laughs) I I didn't just stop at the coaching portion of the curriculum I kept going because I'm crazy like that um but uh it was it was freeing it was liberating um Mm -hmm. I learned so much but I can definitely tell that this is where I'm supposed to be at the time that I'm supposed to be in it. I love the freedom it gives me to empower other women to step into their sexual femininity, their authentic selves, the sensual goddess that lives within them, Um, just bringing that out of them. And as a coach, every coach needs a coach. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I wasn't always that way. And I still have shadows and blockages you know, I'm able to help, you know, I'm able to help all these women. I told a girlfriend, I said, I'm, I'm so great at what I do. And I get so empowered. And then I look back at my life, I'm like, damn, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I got to like juice up my life some more. Um, so it was just, it's been amazing. Um, yeah. And I look back on it and I might, you know, you say, who's a hero of yours? Who's a hero of yours? I'm my own hero. <laughs> you know like yes. shiro yeah yes. yes i'm my own shiro scarlet yes mm. yes yes and i think what you just highlighted is true for so many women that when life is presenting with challenging situations and things like that there is just no extent we won't go to to still pursue our dreams Absolutely. to do the things we need to do yep. And you have lived through more than your fair share of circumstances that you've had to overcome and that you have had to persevere through. Absolutely. And another one of those that you shared with us the other day was talking about your pregnancies and some of the challenges that you experienced in those arenas. And what we do know is that There are times, and unfortunately, lots of times, when our medical system is not always kind, caring, and listening to women when they know that something with their bodies isn't right. 
And I would just love for you to be able to share some of your story and experience with our listeners, because not only are you a woman who wasn't listened to, but you are a black woman who wasn't listened to by your physicians and by the hospital. And we also know that there is a lot around rates of morbidity for pregnant black women and pregnant women of multitude of ethnic backgrounds that are just not listened to by medical professionals. And so I think that highlights something that's really important for FEMS to hear more about. Absolutely. So back in, I know it's been three years, I want to say three, maybe four, um, I had weight loss surgery. I was at one point almost over 300, yeah, a little over 300 pounds. And I had suffered, I still have it, a polycystic ovarian syndrome, which made it really hard for me to lose weight. I was insulin resistant. I had high testosterone levels. And unfortunately, it's very common in minority women, but it's also something that I think doctors and specialists are just starting to take some kind of interest in, but it's plagued a lot of women of their their womanhood um, because with polycystic ovarian, there's different mm. forms of it where you can get cysts on the ovaries um, or you can be similar to myself. I never get cysts or anything, but my insulin levels, like all of this stuff is out of whack. You get facial hair, you know, you're kind of like a, sometimes you feel like a man, you know? I haven't. I'm living with PCOS and can so relate to everything that you are saying. And it is extremely common. Mm -hmm. I think it's one in six women. I hope that that's correct, but it is extremely common. And there are so multitude, it's a syndrome, right? So it has multitudes of different symptoms and, and it has real world consequences with diabetes rates. And yet, you know, this is, um, a hereditary disorder that really affects, just like you said, people's quality of life, women's quality of life, and it only affects women. And so the medical research apparatus Mm -hmm. has just not cared. We don't have effective treatments. We have get on birth control. Good luck. (laughs) That is exactly what they did. Yeah, that's what they do for all of us. This doesn't make sense. You know, I I want to have kids. And they're like, well... Unless, you know, because my testosterone levels were so high, they were like, unless, you know, you're going to have to go this route. It, it just everyone kept telling mm-hmm. me I have to go that route. So mm-hmm. I kept gaining weight. It was like my body wouldn't respond to diet and exercise. It was it was kind of hibernating all the carbs, all the sugars. Um, yeah. And I just kept getting bigger. I was working out two, three times a day at Orange Theory. I was an Orange Theory fanatic. <laughs> I was drinking nothing but water for like eight months. I was eating salads and the rabbit food that they told me I needed to eat. <laughs> um, and nothing, I, I'd, lost, I'd lose like 10 pounds in a month. And I was just like, I feel like I'm living in prison. You know, I don't want to do this. So um, I was looking actually for my ex-husband for his weight loss um, journey and to help him. And the doctor, the surgeon says, have you ever you know, thought about the surgery for yourself? And I said, no, actually, I was just looking to help, you know, get my husband at the time healthy. And I went through it. Thank goodness my insurance at the time 
um, qualified me like in two, three weeks um, Hmm. of going through what they required because I had a history of back pain, of going to the chiropractor for back pain. I had had a breast reduction um, on, I believe, my 21st birthday because I was a G cup at that point. Mm. (laughs) Um, And I had done all the things to try to curb and have a better life, you know, life around my weight. Um, And then they, you know, I had the surgery. Six months after the surgery, I had started getting regular cycles. And for me with PCOS, that was very cute. Yeah. Because yeah. I would have maybe yeah, doesn't happen. one cycle a year um, yeah. by myself, like with just my body, the way it operated. And it wouldn't even be a cycle. I would just spot for a month. Mm. And then it just stopped, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. So I just started having regular cycles for like, the, I think, three months. Yeah, three months. And then it stopped. And I was like, hmm this is what it feels like to be a woman, you know, <laughs> you know, it, it, yeah. I was like, this is pretty, pretty nice and kind of blessing and a curse at the same time. <laughs> um, so after it stopped, I was like, okay, cool. Mind you, I was living in Miami on a contract assignment, um, away from my ex-husband. Um, he was trying to migrate, um, move with me, um, down there, but finding jobs and all that kind of stuff, the cost of living um, for a household and all that. So I found out I was pregnant um, and it took me, I think, four four months into my pregnancy to believe that I was pregnant. Um, Mm -hmm. So I had missed my period. And for me, that's normal, right? So I'm like, okay, I don't mind if it don't come again this year, but I've had three, so I'm doing pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. So... I missed my period and I realized I was like having sweats and headache and I'm like, what is going on? So I'm taking, I'm, I remember taking down my hair at the time and I had some pregnancy tests that were just under the counter. I think every woman has <laughs> at least one yeah. or two under the counter. Um, so I took one and I waited and honestly, I had forgot about it because I started eating dinner and I was like, hmm, oh yeah, I took a pregnancy test. So I run back in the bathroom and I see it. And it says positive. So I'm like, that's weird. I've never had a positive my whole life. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I go and do another one. And I call my, my um, homegirl at the time. I said, D, I just took a pregnancy test and it says positive. She's laughing hysterically. She's like, congratulations. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This isn't possible for me. And she's like, what do you mean? I mean, it's late at night. If it's positive, it's positive. This is not early in the morning, you know. Um, and so I went to the drugstore and got two more tests on the other side of town because I was like, this is a bad batch. You know, this is <laughs> I got a whole new brand. And they said the same thing. Next day, I call out of work and I go to the emergency room because I'm cramping. And I'm like, you know, and then everything go crosses my mind. I'm like, I got monsters inside of me. Like there's probably parasites knocking off my, you know, urine, giving me false positives. Mm. So I go to the ER and they ask me what I'm here for. And I tell them, you know, and then the doctor says, is there any chance you could be pregnant? I said about that, <laughs> you know, and I gotta <laughs> tell him my spiel. and he's like, okay, we'll do some tests. Urine tests come back positive. I was like, yeah, you know, it could be something else. 
So he does the blood test. He's like, your blood was positive. Like, still, you know, monsters inside of me. I've seen that show. You're still not And do the ultrasound. The tech tells me I'm not, you know, able to read these. You know, I'm not legally able to read these. But there is something in there. You know, something. I don't know what it is. And I'm sitting there. It might be a parasite. (laughs) (laughs) So I make the appointment. I go through the steps of making the appointment with an OBGYN. And she confirms it. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, I'm just sitting there. Oh, my God. Like, I'm just in shock. And I go through my pregnancy as normal. And then um, about, I was 20, 22 weeks um, along. And my cervix started to open prematurely. So they gave me a cervical cerclage. And for anybody that doesn't know what that is, it's where they sew your cervix shut. They go in, open kind of, you know, vaginal, open your vagina and get to your cervix um, while you're awake. And they go in and sew it shut. Um, This is my first taste of an epidural at that time. But they don't give you the epidural. It's not the same epidural that you get when you're in childbirth and you're in labor. I don't think it's as good as all because I still felt things. Um, it was weird that when they would touch my cervix, I had like a gag reflex every time. <laughs> like I just. They're related. You know, I was like, I don't know why. <laughs> and they're like, do you feel it? And, I, and I'm like, I don't know. They were like, that's weird. Never seen that before. I was like, I don't know. I don't, I, I can't see when you're touching my cervix. I just. And it's supposed to be We'll numb. circle back around to that. <laughs> I was gonna say, I feel we'll like circle back around to that. <laughs> right? Yeah. So um, <sighs> go through that. And then about, I want to say, five, six weeks later, I um, wake up. I No, actually, a few days leading up to this point, I start feeling like some, some stiffness in my back and some pain. And I'm assuming that this is just a normal pregnancy. Like, this is normal, you know. This is like two, three days into this. And I've never experienced this before. I've never been pregnant before. So, like, this is, right. you know, I'm going through work. I'm living my normal life. And at 20, 28 weeks. And then I go to bed. I tell my sister, who's also a labor and delivery nurse. Um, no. I call her and I tell her what I'm feeling. She's like, you should be fine. Just go to bed. Take it easy. You know, stay off your feet. And I wake up the next morning and I'm just covered. Like I, my mucus plug has completely, you know, detached, come out. And at the time, I didn't know what the freaking mucus plug was. And so I'm just covered in blood down below. And I wake up and I call my sister right away and I tell her <clears throat> what happened. And she tells me to go to the emergency room right now. Just go to the hospital. Um, if you can drive, go ahead. Don't wait for me. Go. Um, so I drive there, I tell them what happened. They put me in triage, um, to kind of evaluate my symptoms and everything. They put me to the machine, see I'm having contractions apparently. And I was like, oh, that's what contractions are. That's what I've been having. Okay. And then they, um, put me on some meds, um, that I think I took, I was supposed to take every eight hours or so, three times a day, um, to slow down my contractions. And after that they you know check me with a scope and everything and they say all right you can go home 
And I'm like, well, I'm still feeling the pain and discomfort, you know. I'm still, you know, not feeling the 100%. And they're like, well, you know, I think you're pretty, you know, you should be pretty fine if you take the meds, you know, in the next eight hours when it's time, um, you can go home and just take it easy. And as a pregnant woman, you get sick of people telling you to take it easy because it's like, do you mm. think I'm doing jumping jacks? Do you think I'm running a <laughs> marathon when I get home or trying to clean my whole place or you know, what do you think I'm doing? You know, so she tells me that I go home and I start to feel the contractions pick up. My by, by that time, my husband has made it to Miami, to South Florida to be there with me. And he's he comes to the apartment and he's like, we're going back. And I said, OK, I mean, OK, because <laughs> the contractions are picking up. So we go back. Um, mind you, all the staff, nothing against, you know, the staff, but all the staff are non-melanated people. They're, you know, um, and one of them, my nurse that I was seen by was 32 weeks pregnant. And when I had walked in, Mm -hmm. she was, um, one of the nurse, other nurse staff was checking her, um, her heart rate of her baby with a Doppler. And I was like, um, hey, they were like, why do you come back? You know, what's going on? And I said, I'm still having the contractions and it feels like they've picked up. And they said, oh, you just got to let the medicine work. You know, you just took the medicine about an hour ago. It should start working pretty soon. You have about, you know, at that point, waiting through the ER and discharge and all that. It probably had four hours left of the meds um, before I could take the next dose. And so my husband's getting really frustrated and I tell him, please don't show your ass at these people in the hospital. <laughs> just please, you know, because if they tell him, let's just do what they say, go home. And then he calls the hospital back and he's like, hey, these are now 20 minutes apart and they're getting closer and closer. They were like 45 minutes, 30 minutes, and now they're like 20 minutes, and you know, so on. And... <clears throat> They say, okay, well, we'll get the doctor. And the doctor gets on the phone and he's like, okay, come back to the hospital. And he, t- he start, gets frustrated and he said, we just ca- we just left. You know, we came back. They sent yeah. me home. They didn't even let me go to triage at that point when I came back. They stopped me at the door and told me, um, you know, there's nothing more we, we can do. You just got to, you know, let the meds work. Um, and mind you, your cervix is still so yes, shut. I still have my cervix in. And I'm having contractions. And even when the, the nurse checked me, she said she could see my back, but there was no rupture. Um, so that was alarming to me because I'm like, you shouldn't be able to see that. I'm 28 weeks <laughs> and it's supposed to be mm. still sewn shut. Like it's supposed to be still tight. So that let me know now, hindsight 2020, that I had started opening prematurely again. And some of that pain mm. that I was having was from the cerclage. Mm. Um, but my ex my husband at the time, he told them, we're not comfortable coming back because we've come back and we've been told there's nothing more you can do. And now you're telling me to come back. What's going to change? She's still having the contractions. We've done the meds. We've hydrated her. What more is there to do? And, you know, he said, oh, she was on the medication and all that kind of stuff. And I said, yeah. Um, and then they said, we'll wait for the next dose. Same thing they told me when I was there. So then right. after that, um, my ex husband's like, no, we are going back. And I begged him. I begged him, just please let me rest. I haven't slept in three days. I've been <laughs> in pain for three days. Oh. Please just let me go to sleep. 
And he said, okay, fine. I'm going to go park the truck. He goes downstairs, park the truck, and my water breaks. And I am completely devastated at this point. I am, all things cross my mind, a frustration. My water breaks. I'm 28 weeks pregnant. And I know, you know, that we were pushing for 30 to 32 weeks. And I just bust out in tears. I'm, I'm like, mm-hmm. no, my baby, you know, I'm, I'm hysterical at this point, like of just trying to save my baby because it's just fluid yeah. coming and I'm crossing my leg. I remember crossing my legs, trying to sit down to stop the water from coming out. And then I head to the hallway <clears throat> um, and I pass my neighbor, this little frail old white lady in the, in the hallway that's walking her little Pomeranian. And she's like, hey, you know, she's always chipper when I see her. And she saw me crying and she's like, oh, no, no, what's wrong? No, 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 what's wrong? And I'm like, I'm in labor. And she tells me to lean on her and we're going down the elevator. And I'm like, I'm going to crush this little lady, this little old lady. I'm trying to keep my baby in, trying to not slip on on the fluid coming out because I have no shoes on. And going downstairs to meet my ex-husband, he, he's coming out of the truck and I'm like, and I'm, I'm stopping, I'm waving him down. And he's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, water broke. And he just breaks down and we're headed to the hospital. And I say, on the way there, I said, please just don't go to that hospital, which was five minutes away that we had just been going to, you know, tw- two, three times. And I said, just, let's just go to the next one, you know, and thank God we had just bought, I think a 2019, I had just got him a 2019 Chevy Silverado. And we still had the OnStar trial. So we pushed the OnStar button and they gave us the turn-by-turn directions to the next hospital, which in turn we found out was the best choice because they had a level three NICU that could Mm. take care of the baby the best. Other hospital, I think, only went up to level two, which they would have had to uh, ambulance me over to the next hospital anyway. Um, Mm -hmm. so we get there and I remember trying to tell this man that was coming off his shift what was going on. And I was in the middle of contractions by then they were like five minutes apart. And he tells me, oh, you got to go to the emergency room. Cause I came through the emergency area where the, uh, the ambulance park where they came and he goes, oh no, no, you got to go over there. And so I grab him in the middle of a contraction and he's like, oh, shit. Okay, well, you can come through here. You can come through here. And he reroutes me. Right. He puts in a pin code or something to unlock the door. And I remember walking in and I felt like I was on Grey's Anatomy because I saw the most high-tech um, ER ever, most high-tech systems and all that shit ever. And he yells out <clears throat> code blue or some something. And I feel somebody lifts me up, put me on a gurney, and they're pushing me through the halls of this hospital. And in between, they're asking me, what's your social, what's your date of birth, all this stuff, because they don't know who the heck I am. I'm just a woman off the street. And so I'm giving it to them in between contractions, and I'm letting know, shut the fuck up, it's another one coming. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, just stop talking to me, please. You're making it worse. So finally, I get to the triage of that hospital, labor and delivery, and I have this sigh of relief. Because I see Mm. and I'm being taken care of by all African-American women. And I feel like I'm heard now. Like I can relax and I don't have to be, like I'm still advocating for myself, but I don't have to 
fear for my life right now. Like I, I feel like I'm going to be heard. I'm going to be taken care of in a better way than I was before. And my sister finally gets there to the hospital. Um, and she's coincidentally has done a travel assignment with the doctor who delivers my baby. And so she's Mm -hmm. able to help, um, deliver my firstborn son. That is so beautiful that your sister was able to bring, you know, her nephew into the world. Yeah. Yeah. Her first nephew. Yeah. And, um, I remember the doctor telling me that this could have been prevented. And I just break down crying because I start to feel mom guilt for the first time in my life. Um, Feeling that I'm the reason my child didn't make it to full term. Um, God gave me one job and I failed, you know, all I had to do was get him here healthy and okay. And then also that feeling of pushing him out. Thank goodness I didn't have to have a cesarean, Um, but pushing him out. And not being able to have that first mom touch that everyone sees on the Hallmark shows and movies and on commercials yeah. and that everybody tells you about. I wasn't able to touch him. I wasn't able to hold him. They quick, like they lifted him and put him in the NICU incubator, wrapped him up in like plastic to keep his body heat, you know, warm. He was born mm-hmm. at two pounds, five ounces. And I remember just breaking down like my baby was wrong. I didn't hear anything. He cried like two little shrieks. Um, And then the doctor told me, she said, I did smell some slight infection um, in my, uh, my amniotic fluid. And she said it could have potentially come from, the only thing it could have come from was the cerclage that was inserted. Mm. Um, and so she's, she's like, you know, he's in the best place. This is the best place you could have came. You're going to be, he's going to be okay. You know, we're, we're going to just play it day by day. And to this day, sometimes I have a friend who's actually a, uh, engineer and she repairs those things in the NICU. She repairs the machines. She's an engineer that repairs those. And she, um, is on and is she's a part of our work from home group. She's the only person that doesn't really work from home. <laughs> but hearing her test and go through the machines, and I told her, I said, I used to have to mute you a lot when we started the group because it was triggering for me, and I didn't know yeah. that I would have those triggers hearing that machine again. I'm um, going mm-hmm. back in my mind, experiencing it yeah. all over again. Um, yeah. it, I wasn't able to hold him until two weeks after he was born. Oh. Um, I wasn't able to latch him till two months after he was born. So it was also going through postpartum depression at that time was very hard because I didn't know what my triggers was. Everything was, I was a first time mom going through all of this for the first time. And I remember one time I was leaving the hospital or coming to the hospital. I don't know which one, but I can, I remember my mom and dad was there and I remember breaking down like in the middle of the hotel of the hospital lobby. And they were like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I was like, I just want to go home with my baby. I just want to go home with my baby. And then it had been like almost a month and I had realized I was being triggered by seeing moms wheeled out of the hospital with their babies. Mm-hmm. 
And I, from then on, I could never go in the daytime to see my son. I had to go at night when there was no discharges. So it was just a lot to endure, encounter, to go through. And now, thank God, he's fully healthy. No side, no uh, delays, defi- no, no, no anything. Thank goodness. Um, he's actually a little advanced ahead of the curve. Um, but for a while, I, th- I remember bringing him home. He was in the NICU for 66 days. And I remember bringing <sighs> him home and he was the size of a newborn. Um, yeah. He was five pounds, 10 ounces when he was able to come home. But he was already reaching four months old, you know, getting ready to be, you know, three, three and four months old where he should have been, mm. you know, eight to 10 pounds, you know, at that point. So I, I remember that. And I was just like, okay, now the, the journey of my new family drama and all that shit was going on in the midst of me working this out, <laughs> him being in the NICU, but trying to figure out if my baby was going to be okay. And if I could be a mom, mm. Because there was also things postpartum I'm dealing with. My husband at the time, we were first-time parents. He doesn't know what the hell is going on. And then also having a baby that's used to 24-hour care yeah. mm-hmm. around the clock. Mm. Needing things, getting things, feeds and all that. And I'm like, you know, they really, and I, and I still advocate for this, they really should give NICU moms, put the baby more on the schedule <laughs> to help them go home. Yeah, Because for so long, the baby is used to always being attended to. Mm. So you get home with this new baby and you have no clue what the fuck to do with it. Like, I'm just like, well, what does this mean? What do you want? Mm. Yeah. It was very traumatic. Um, and the, the fatality rate of black women in childbirth. And that was why I was so afraid to go back to that hospital. is 2.6 times higher than non-black women. And that number year after year does climb. Mm-hmm. So I was very afraid to be a statistic, to be, to have my husband at the time on Good Morning, Good Morning America sharing my story mm. of some other families that we have saw and read about. So, yeah, it was, uh, and still to this day, I fight through some of those things. Um, yeah. And then, sure. mind you, getting home with him and then a month later finding out I was pregnant again. <laughs> Oh my! <laughs> I was just like, what? "Wow!" I, was like, I cannot go through this again. I cannot. Lex, I'm just like, oh, I am so just sitting in like deep, deep gratitude for your willingness yeah. to share. Um, when yeah. we process traumatic experiences and use our throat to to put them out into the world, we we mm-hmm. so go through you know all of the myriad emotions and and you know all over again what I experienced from you sharing you know your your birth experience your pregnancy experience was like I I could feel almost you reaching into yourself and getting to that point Mm -hmm. where it's like I can't take any more and somehow Mm -hmm. finding the resolve to take more and like for your survival for your child's survival and what you just mentioned the black maternal morbidity rate in this country Mm -hmm. two point you said 2.3 times higher 2.6 times higher six times higher that's unacceptable that is unacceptable there is no reason 
that no. black women should be dying in mass mm-hmm. in pregnancy like this. And in my state, Texas, it's particularly heinous because black women yeah. are also twice as likely to experience hemorrhage, sepsis. You know, mm-hmm. it's it is simply institutional racism in the medical society yeah. that is baked in yep. every time that you were not heard, every time you were dismissed, yeah. every single one of those times you know, understanding that your life, your child's life and your life is at stake. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, and I, I do want to add, sorry to interrupt, no, please. but I also want to add, coincidentally, my close friend um, that I worked with that I called to let her know I was pregnant, she, we ended up being pregnant together. Mm-hmm. We went through our journeys together. We had the same OB. Our OB was an African-American woman mm-hmm. who was also coincidentally on the hospital board for OBGYNs of that hospital that kept turning me away wow. who also the CEO of that hospital was also an African-American woman. Mm. And so it was just like, you would think, you know, some kind of precaution, some kind of kind of advocacy of understanding that statistic of let's just be more aware maybe, mm-hmm. but it didn't happen. And I even, I did seek legal counsel. And unfortunately, legal counsel says, well, unless there's a problem with the child, there's nothing we can do. Wow. Hmm. Uh, basically, unless my child has some kind of type of disability or retardation that's proven because of he was born early. Right. There's nothing um, they were able. So they for your trauma, for your, there's no yeah. recourse for what you experienced. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, yeah. And then to think that, and I did, I prayed and I was like, source, God, anybody up there, you really think I can go through this again? (laughs) And be facing it again. Right. So quickly. And the trauma is still living in your body and in your system. Yes. All of that. I just, I don't know. It it obviously testament to your strength and where you've gone and, how you were able to, after those experiences, put yourself through this amazing certification Absolutely. program and all of it. But yeah, you've lived, you've lived some lives, lady. Yeah. A lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> There's, yeah. Um, it's, it's been a journey, but I, I thank God for my children because again, as I, if I recoil back, I was told I couldn't have children. So the journey to get them here it was hell, mm-hmm. but I am grateful that I am alive and healthy. And so are they, I know there's women that potentially goes through, go through more, you know, but for me, I just try to be that voice mm-hmm. for women, that voice for their spouse, their partner going through it with them and saying, Hey, speak up, Yeah. yeah. you know, don't let them say, go home. Don't let them say, Oh, well, you should be feeling fine. Well, I don't. And I need you to do something about it. And unfortunately, I feel that some of the fatality, not just the negligence of the hospitals and the practitioners, um, the physicians, it's also deeply rooted in ancestry for me that I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, Black women were also cadavers to the um, to OBGYN practices. Yeah. With no pain meds. Mm -hmm. We were lab rats um, going back to our ancestors and the things that they went through 
um, being tested on, having open surgeries, you mm. know, on the, just so they can see what it looks like. Um, I feel that that trauma goes through our bloodline yeah. as African-American women. So it makes it even harder Yeah. Um, of some of the things we experience um, that non um african-american or or melanated people experience yeah um in childbirth uh i just want (laughs) to thank you for your candor and your vulnerability and your willingness to share all of this with us it may not have been the conversation we thought we might have today (laughs) but no matter i mean it's the conversation that needed to be had and absolutely these these instances, these stories need to be told and need to be amplified so that people hear it and believe it. And mm-hmm. so thank you for your willingness to show My up pleasure. and be so authentic in and giving us these personal intimate details of your own experiences. Um, so thank you for that. And we do My want pleasure. to also let our listeners know, you know, what work you're doing right now and things like where they can find you, all of that goodness. Mm -hmm. So it feels a little (laughs) strange to shift from this beautiful conversation into what I know you were giving us some insight into in terms of what you're doing in your practice right now, Mm -hmm. in your sex coaching practice with some of the courses that you're teaching. So Mm -hmm. I just wanted to see if you wanted to share a little bit about that and, you know, let people know where they can find you. And I'm sure we would love to have you back so that we can talk about a lot more of those other things, especially the, oh, yeah. the reflex, <laughs> the, the cervical gag reflex. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. That, yeah. It was, it's weird every time though. Well, I'm just, happened. what I wanted to say is, yeah. Does that happen to you during sex? If you are indulged in your cervix? It doesn't. It doesn't. I think because I was so open. And it could have also done the medication that they had given me um, and also the anxiety I had around oh, it so mm. much. Um, so I think it, it all played a part. So when I feel it, it just, mind you, I'm, I'm the stirrups and all that, you know, my legs are open and up. And so I think the position, everything played a part in totally. it. But yeah, during sex, I don't gag. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, let's be clear. Uh-uh. <laughs> Not happening during sex. No. Um, but I did want to add um, just a bit of information. Once you get a cerclage, with every pregnancy you have, whether high risk or not, you will have a cerclage. Oh, okay. Um, so it's just a given that if you've had it once, you're going to have it every pregnancy. And once you get it, you're considered high risk off rip. So also, they tell you you're not allowed to have sex. Um during your pregnancy while you have the cerclage until oh. it's removed. Um, that's very hard for me. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> we've discussed yeah. your sex drive. Yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. on the show, but very hard for me. So I, um, I've experienced, and I'm going to wrap it up here, but and, and I, I kind of let that fly out the window because during my pregnancies, I have sleeping orgasms very intense sleeping orgasms sleeping and so i was like orgasm. <laughs> are these pleasant 
they're very pleasant to where I wake up and I used to look at my ex-husband and I was like, were you touching me? You know, like, because wow. I wake up like out of breath and aroused and just finished the, the climax of it. And I'm just like, were you touching me? And he's like, no, what's wrong with you? And I'd be afraid to go to sleep because the orgasms would be very intense to where I'd have a contraction or two after. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I'd be, <laughs> yeah. So the yeah, ultimate I, wet I was... dream. Like what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just, I just be like, whoo, you know, <laughs> sleeping and feeling this. Um, but yeah. And, and it would happen very frequently. And it wake me up. <laughs> that wow. is such a fascinating experience. And I'm sure somebody yeah. is listening and was like, yes, I went through that. And I've never heard yeah. anybody else describe that. Yep. And that's the beautiful yeah. thing about this is the Yoniverse, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. all the incredible <laughs> yeah. things our Yonis can do. They are yeah. stronger than, you know, the strongest yeah. force. I mean, look at what you have experienced. I'm sure your relationship with yeah. your Yoni is beautiful and just, oh, I can't yeah. wait to have you back to <laughs> talk more yeah. about that. But tell us about your current That's offerings right. as a coach and where folks can find yeah. you, Lex. Yes, yes. I, um, um, you can find me on TikTok, um, TikTok, Instagram, it's talk sex underscore with Lex. Um, there is no A in the talk, so it's T-L-K-S-E-X underscore with Lex um, on TikTok and Instagram. But on Facebook, you can find me at talk sex with Lex, spelled completely the correct way, <laughs> T-A-L-K-S-E-X with Lex. Um, and then to reach me directly, you can email me either through my website which is talk sex with Lex spelled without the A again, um, dot com. Um, or you can email me at talksexwithlex at gmail.com to reach me directly um, to plan something. Um, I do have a few courses coming up. Um, the Mouth Hugs One-on-One for Beginners. It's a course getting women into feeling their sensuality while giving oral pleasure to penis owners. Um, and... I love this course because it was something I wish someone had taught me before I just jumped in there and sucking dick (laughs) and not knowing what I was doing, not knowing the tips and tricks and the rules of the game. Um, It is helping women enjoy it and also get pleasure out of it. Everything I do, I want women to achieve that orgasm, that pleasure, because the pleasure gap is real. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't believe that women should go without ever. So. Yeah. Neither do we. Lovely friend. (laughs) Neither do we. Lex, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Uh Thank you for having me. I love this. Our pleasure. Beautiful. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. We are so glad you were with us this week. And we can't wait to be back with you again next week. And until then, take care. Thanks for spending some time in the Yoniverse with us. We adore our listeners, and we'd love to connect more deeply with you. Find us on our website, theflamingyoni.com, and our socials are in the show notes. Before you leave the universe, be sure to give us a five-star rating, and don't forget the review. Your feedback means the world to us. We can't wait to light your world on fire next week, and in the meantime, stay sacred. And stay salacious.